my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. iHeartRadio presents Podversations, a weekly discussion with the biggest names and influencers in podcasting. Want to learn the secret psych-up rituals Scrub star Zach Braff and Donald Faison use before every fake doctor's real friends taping? How Vice News parachutes into war zones to rescue journalists from life-threatening situations? Or why Keegan-Michael Key and Blumhouse believe 3D audio is the future of storytelling. Whether you're a newbie trying to break into the podcast game or an exec trying to refine your playbook, Podversations is the easiest way to keep your pulse on the industry. Hey, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us. This is easily my favorite part of the week. It's when we at iHeartRadio get to sit down with people that we deeply admire and we want to get to know better. And we do that through the lens of podcasting, this medium that has continued to explode in the entertainment space across the last year. About a year ago, we all entered into a bit of a new world order. As COVID hit and quarantine hit, we actually started to listen slowly but surely to more and more podcasts to fill that time. And so we here at iHeartRadio wanted to launch a weekly speaker series where we could sort of put tools down every Thursday at around noon Eastern and talk about podcasting, why it continues to grow so fast, and then talk about the people behind it. Who is creating in this medium? What is attracting them to the medium? What kind of content are they making? How are they using this medium? Today's session is super special for us for many, many reasons. It's one of our own podcasts that we are supporting on our platform because we deeply believe in its mission and its creator. 
Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, welcome to the iHeartRadio weekly webinar speaker series. I seriously appreciate you being here for half hour this week. I know you're busy, so thank you. Thank you for having me. I also have the producer and executive producer on the show, Eves Jeffsko. Eves been at iHeartRadio making podcasts for a while now. Eves, I think I asked you to join this and this literally things are not happening right now at our company so that you could come here and talk to us for a second. So thank you too for joining us and sitting in. So happy to be here. And full disclosure about 45 seconds before we went live, we all realized that we're, we're within like 10, 20 miles of each other in the great state of Georgia. We're nothing big going on here in Georgia. We're not helping to decide the fate of the free world or anything like that. But that's kind of cool too. I think, Dr. Joy, I live in a city called Decatur. I call it home. That's where your offices are too. So that was a pretty cool connection. I want to jump in real quick. And Eves, if you'll let me, I'll steal the first question. One of the things that's been nuts in the last year is that it's sort of forced us all to spend different times doing different kinds of things that maybe we wouldn't have normally done. So Dr. Droid, just to sort of break the ice a little bit, you got a lot of time in quarantine. Maybe you're sitting at home more often, maybe more time on your hands. What kind of shows are you watching? What are you streaming? What are you binging? So I kind of love kind of that, like watching TV is kind of a part of my job. So, but I definitely feel like it has increased during the lockdown, right? And so some of the things that I have been watching, I feel like like lots of people is Bridgerton, anxiously awaiting the podcast <laughs> so that I can have a reason to rewatch it. So I've been watching that. I also am a huge reality TV fan. And so Married at First Sight just started a new season. So I've been watching that as well. That's awesome. You know, full disclosure, we have an incredible partnership with Shonda Rhimes and her company, Shondaland. We make a lot of podcasts with them. And the success of Bridgerton is absolutely phenomenal. I think that show is so smart. It's so smartly and sort of like quietly disruptive in ways where you're really enjoying the show, but then you realize it's actually brand new the way they're doing this. So yeah. been really neat to get behind the scenes talk from them about how it was made. And we're going to reveal all of that in a podcast in the coming weeks, actually, that we're going to put out. What about books? You have an incredible platform that you've launched therapy for black girls, but mm -hmm. what kind of stuff do you read now to get inspiration from? You still read books? I do. I definitely do. So I just finished The Banishing Half by Britt Bennett and have recently started this book called Group, which is a memoir written by Christy Tate, all about her experience in group therapy, which is pretty cool. You don't find a lot of books written about group therapy. So that's the newest one that I started reading. Got it. And then lastly, to slowly get into podcasting here, again, your platform therapy for Black Girls is also one of the more powerful podcasts we had ever heard. What about you? Do you listen to podcasts a lot more and more? What kind of ones have you heard lately that have caught your ear? Yeah, I think like a lot of people, I started podcasting because of the podcast I was listening to. So I am a longtime listener of The Read, which is one of my favorite podcasts. I also really enjoy the Back Issue podcast. So they kind of talk about things from the past, like the BT Awards from 10 years ago or something like that. And they kind of dig into like what made it so fun. And Hidden Brain is another one of my favorite podcasts. Oh. Wow. That's a lineup of the absolute best podcasts out there. I remember I heard my first episode of The Read about two years ago, and my life quickly sort of organized into life before I had heard The Read and life after I had heard The Read. It really is that seminal, I think, a, a show, and it's just the way that they talk about issues. But anyway, Eves, to you to ask the first more serious questions. <laughs> yeah, that was like a perfect lead into my question because I know that a lot of us really didn't expect to or really even think about being podcasters before podcasting became this huge thing. 
Like it's obviously and clearly blown up so much in the past several years, but it's still kind of a new thing. And so I was just kind of wondering, where were you before this path that led you into podcasting? What were you doing prior to this huge platform that you have now that is Therapy for Black Girls? So I was actually the director of the counseling center at Clark Atlanta University. So like we've already talked about where we live in the city. So I had about a 45 minutes to an hour commute both ways to my job, which is when I fell in love with podcasting. So it felt like a great way to kind of pass the time. I actually really missed and cherished that time because it felt like something just for me. So that's when I fell in love with podcasting. And I was already blogging on the Therapy for Black Girls site. But once I got introduced to podcasts, I thought, wow, this would be a really cool way to share the same kinds of information that I'm sharing in the blog, but in the podcast format. So my husband has experience in radio. So I knew that I didn't have very far to look in terms of producing. So it felt like a really easy leap for me to just kind of take a chance at doing something different. And really, it just kind of blew up. And when somebody approaches you now and says, what's your day job? What do you do? <laughs> How do you, with someone with a platform like Therapy for Black Girls, you have a lot of different tentacles that you've, I think, very, very smartly extended this into. But how do you answer yeah. that question? Yeah, I say that Therapy for Black Girls is my full-time job. So I talk about, you know, running the podcast as well as managing our therapist directory, which is also a part of the site. Maybe just to stop down for a second, take 30 seconds and just tell our viewers, what do you do? You're Dr. Joy Bradford. What is your background? What's your expertise? And then we'll get into, I think, the sort of very critical questions to just mental health generally in the country mm -hmm. in the last year. But first you, what's your background? Yeah, so I am trained as a psychologist. I went to the University of Georgia for my PhD program in counseling psychology. So lots of roots to Georgia here. So I was practicing, like I said, I was at the Clark Atlanta University most recently, but my background is in college student mental health. And so on every campus that I was on, I would always run a group for the Black women on campus because there's a huge stigma related to mental health really in the Black community. And so it just felt like Black women were not coming to the counseling centers at the same rate as their peers. So it felt really important for me to go to where they were in either the multicultural student union or in their residence halls to let them know that I existed, to let them know what kinds of resources were available, and to start some conversations with them about how they could take care of their mental health. So that I don't just barrel ahead to the next question, because I think you just said something really interesting. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that Black students in particular, or maybe Black female students in particular, were reticent to seek help like that on campus? And was that a first signal for you of like, whoa, this is a weird thing I did not know about and maybe I can fix in some way? Yeah, so it wasn't anything new to me. I mean, throughout my training, a lot of it was focused on just the disproportionate ways that mental health shows up in the Black community and the cultural history just related to stigma. You know, we don't typically come from families where lots of people have gone to therapy. Historically, it is seen that you had to be crazy, quote unquote, right, to go to a therapist. And, you know, there have been lots of ways where mental health has been used and weaponized against the Black community. So it's not been always okay for people to come forward and say that they are struggling. And so I really felt like even throughout my graduate training that my purpose or part of the work that I wanted to do was to make it easier for Black people to get connected to services. So interesting. So mental health, the last year that we've all had, I think is maybe the biggest issue really hidden inside quarantine is the mental health of our country. I have four kids. We went through 12 months of virtual learning, in-person learning, then virtual learning again. 
not to dramatize it, but I've definitely seen sort of firsthand the effect of that on kids, not being mm -hmm. able to socialize and be with their friends. And so I feel like there's mental health issues that as a country we're broadly aware of. Are there sort of hidden mental health issues that you as an expert might say, yes, but actually there are issues off of our radar to do with mental health that aren't getting talked about as much that are actually even more important. Maybe just give us some insights on that. Yeah, you know, kind of, I actually think that the mental health impact on the other side of the pandemic is going to be much larger than anybody really is discussing. Well, I think people in the field are discussing, but it feels like we are kind of like shouting into the vortex, like, hey, you need to pay attention to this. Because I think what is happening and what has been happening for this past year is that there have been just constant situations where we have been traumatized, you know, in a lot of different ways and just an overwhelming sense of grief. Grief related to the loss of loved ones for people who have lost loved ones. Grief related to, you know, our whole sense of normalcy being upended. Loneliness and isolation has really increased. You know, we talked about it for kids, but I think for adults as well. And so I think on the other side of this, there will be a sense of shock that people will be able to kind of really understand like what this past year or year and a half has been like, and people will really have to grapple with like what has happened. And so I think there will be a real need for supports and for services that are really already tapped out. So I think that is a conversation that I hope people take more seriously. And, you know, of course, part of what I want to do with the platform so that people can understand, like, this is something that we need to get ready for to be able to help people. Yeah, that's one thing that I've really appreciated over the years of your podcast is just how much work is done in all the different ways through the platform that it's done to really destigmatize conversations around mental health. I mean, just from my personal circles and in circles I see on social media through the great work that you do, and just really uplifting the conversation around that is something that I've seen just over the course of my short, you know, lifetime and this short years in which mental health has become more of a conversation. And I, I really think that the platform therapy for Black girls has been one that has really contributed so much to that. And I just wonder as well, how has therapy for Black girls and how has the podcast changed since you first launched it in 2017? Yeah, you know, I really launched this, like I said, just as an idea, right? Like just as a way to kind of stay more engaged with the community. So people were reading the blog, but nowhere near the rate where people are listening to the podcast, right? And so it really just felt like it hit at the right time because this was a conversation that really needed to be had. And so I think, you know, I have definitely gotten more sophisticated, have added people to the team to help me. What has not changed is that I still record in my home closet, which I think is a really cool kind of origin story for the podcast, you know, but I definitely think I am much more intentional about like paying attention to what the community wants to hear about and being very responsive to them. I think that that's one of the things I love the most about the platform is that it really just feels like I am in constant conversation with them. So there will be something that happens in the community and then the next week, they know that it's likely there's going to be a podcast episode about it. So I think that that's been really cool. Is there things you've learned in doing the podcast that have informed your work as a psychologist? Is it sort of going back and forth that I've fully understand that you're pulling all that expertise into podcasting, but is there something about the medium too that you're like, oh, I could sort of change the way that I'm a doctor just because of 
in this show. Yeah, so I think that I am much more in tune with like group dynamics. So I kind of envision the listeners and the community surrounding the podcast as one large group. And so I think that that has also encouraged me to consider running groups in my practice. So my practice is purposely really small because of all of the things related to therapy for Black girls. But it has definitely encouraged me to think more about how I can do more group work, which I think will also be really critical on the other side of the pandemic. Because again, there will not be enough providers to go around for all the people who are going to need services. And so that's something that I've really been seriously thinking more about. So interesting that you talk about the other side of the pandemic that way, because I think before throwing back to you, Eves, it is sort of the untold other part of this is I think we're all ecstatic to be slowly emerging, hopefully from quarantine, but you're right, there may be a sort of psychological lag to all of this where it's like, whoa, what did I just go through for good and bad? That I guess you're right, we're not really clocking it. It's all ecstasy at this moment. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I know that there are so, so, so many layers to the topic that is mental health. 
And because you've had hundreds of episodes so far, you've really been able to touch on a lot of them. And of course, there's so much more that you can dig into. But I was wondering if there's any topics that you've ever been hesitant to cover. Like, is there anything that's come up that you were a little bit maybe more fearful or apprehensive about talking about because it was something that you were just delving into or something that was really heavy on our minds at the moment? Anything like that that you were maybe hesitant to get into, but did end up covering on the podcast. And it was something that really turned out to be beneficial for your audience. I think that there have been several of those moments, Eve, but I think the first one that I remember was right after all of the events in Charlottesville, Virginia, right? When they had that, I don't even know what to call it, riot or whatever, where, you know, once someone was killed and, you know, all of the white supremacists were marching on campus. I was really, really impacted by that and really just felt like, I knew that my community would expect me to address it, but I really didn't want to. Like, I felt like really tired of giving energy to it. I think that, you know, I had probably already done a couple of episodes about like, you know, racism and how it impacts our mental health. I think that that wasn't too long after like the Las Vegas shooting. So I think I felt really just worn down and just felt like I don't want to address that, but I knew that my community needed to hear my voice about it. And so I did do the podcast and I think was very open about how I was feeling and like I didn't want to do it. I shared that on the podcast. And I think anytime I do those kinds of episodes, I do think the community is closer to me, right? Because I am giving voice to some of the things that they are also struggling with. And so I think that they appreciate when I can share how I'm feeling about something happening in our lives as well. And can you talk about the response that you get? What are some of the things that people say to you in the aftermath of those episodes and those occurrences. So we get lots and lots of emails, lots of direct messages, which I love. Again, I think it's just continuing part of the conversation. But people appreciate, you know, me giving voice to that. I get messages that talk about them feeling like, oh, I hadn't even thought of it that way, but I noticed now my mood was impacted and now that may be a part of why. You know, so I think giving people language for like some emotions or things that may be going on with them that they didn't have otherwise has been a really, really cool part of the work that I've been able to do with the podcast. What drew you to psychology to begin with? Like just to go way back to the origin stories, even before (laughs) counseling at a college or UGA, what drew you to this? And as a second question, we don't often end treating or working directly in fields that we are about. Therapy for Black girls, at one point in your life, you were a Black girl you ended up launching a huge, incredible platform to help that community. What drew you to this? Why not any of the hundred other careers you could have done and probably been awesome at? Was there a spark as a kid that you just were sort of led to this by a parent or a relative or something that you read in high school? What do you think it was? So my mother calls it being nosy. I call it being very curious. So I have always been somebody who is just really in tune with human behavior. Like I am the person kind of making up stories about people I see kind of passing on the street. Like I've just always really been interested in that. And I had an opportunity to take a correspondence class in high school about psychology and instantly fell in love. So I knew that once I went to college, that was going to be my major. I went to school though, thinking that I would be a psychology professor. Like that is what I thought I wanted to do was to teach. But then I had an opportunity to do like an internship practicum kind of experience where I watched somebody do therapy. And then I knew that that is what I wanted to do. So I think being a member of the community that I now serve feels very natural to me. I think, you know, a part of my upbringing is to kind of like always be of service to other people. And I think that there's something really poignant of kind of being 
the person that you felt like you needed at some point in your life, right? So, you know, having mm-hmm. these kinds of conversations that I have on the podcast feel like a natural extension of the conversations I heard my mom and her sisters have, the kinds of conversations I have with my girlfriends, the kinds of conversations I have with clients. And so it actually felt very natural and a natural extension of the kinds of things that I was already doing in my life to then start the platform. Is therapy still a big part of your week? Not very big. So I do still have like two or three clients I see, but much more of my work is the podcast and the directory. Is there any part of that that you never want to let go of? I don't want to lead the witness, but like, is that part (laughs) of you that like, I always need to be doing that even just a little bit? I really love, you know, it really is just so interesting. I mean, like five, six years ago, if you had told me that this would be my life, I would have laughed because my ultimate goal was always to have like this lucrative private practice where I just help people. And that was always the vision. And now my life looks very, very different from the thing that I had envisioned several years ago. So I strongly identify as a therapist. And I feel like being a therapist is what allows me to connect to my community through the podcast in the way that I do. So I feel like that is something I never want to give up. Even if it's just a little bit of therapy, I definitely want to always be doing that. It does feel like it's been amplified so much, though, like going from just thinking about this small practice that you have of yours, but then the amount of listeners that you're able to reach on a a week-to-week basis is just like the impact that you've had is just so much more amplified because of all of the people's ears who who you touch every week. So I also think that that goes back to what you were saying about the destigmatization and just like the conversations you're having, they're fun a lot of the time. And we don't have to be so afraid of these conversations around mental health, even if we're not necessarily ready to go speak with a therapist in person or even have access to those resources yet. And I think that that's opened up the conversation so much more. Are there any experiences that you've had in maybe researching an episode or just the conversations that you have had with guests that come on that have maybe been learning experiences for you where you didn't know much about something or maybe you were enlightened on something or changed your mind about something in the process of doing that research for an episode or having that conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I walk away from all of the conversations I have on the podcast learning something. You know, I think that that's the cool thing about practicing as therapists, right? Like there are some things that like likely all of us do, but then there are other things that people are highly specialized in, right? So I had a conversation on the podcast with a hypnotherapist, which is something that I've not had any training in, but was such a cool conversation and I learned so much about it, as well as a therapist who practices EMDR. So this is a type of therapy primarily used for people who have had very traumatic experiences where they use like these lights and really help you to kind of go back to the scene of the trauma and like help you to kind of rework it so that you kind of, you know, can work through some of those symptoms that you're having. So, I mean, I have just learned so much and I think that that's a part of what people enjoy too, is that when they hear me on the podcast, it's not like this expert talking down to people. It really is, hey, come learn this thing with me and you're learning while I'm learning. So I think I ask the questions on the podcast that many of my listeners might also be listening or asking. So I don't think that there's been a conversation I've walked away from where I didn't learn something. So cool. Well, listen, I deeply appreciate you being in partnership with us. This is our favorite kind of show to work on because it was a show that we all were fans of and listened to long before we ever got to talk to you and try to support you and grow this show in our network. I know you're busy. You're not just doing cool content. You're doing what I think is really good, important work. And so I deeply appreciate you taking a half hour to talk to me and Eves today. Dr. Joy, thank you for that. 
Yes, thank, thank you. you. Eve, thanks thank for hanging you. out with me too. You made yes. this even more fun than it was going to be already. But Dr. Joyce, stay safe, stay sane. At some point here in Georgia, we'll all go out and get a coffee together when time is normal. And, and if your prediction is correct, we may be one of those two or three clients you have next year because we may need more help than we're aware of coming out of quarantine and going back to normal a little bit. But thanks again, Dr. Joy. And everybody, thank you so much for watching this week. It means a lot to us that you hung out with us for this half hour. We will be back next week for another weekly webinar series. Everybody take care. Stay safe. Conversations is a production of iHeartRadio. You can find more from the biggest names in podcasting on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home.